Welcome to the Monterey Podcast. For more information, check out our website at montereychurch.com. Well, let me invite you to reflect on those words again as we anticipate the Thanksgiving holiday, as we anticipate this week. Uh, words from Colossians chapter 3. And as I read, please notice Paul's emphasis on gratitude and thanksgiving. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let's pray together as we begin. Oh God, we do, we do pause to give you thanks. God, I pray that in every circumstance of life, we are a thankful people. I pray that whatever we do, whether it's the words we speak or uh, the behavior that we live out every day, I pray, God, that we do so in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we do so giving thanks, giving thanks to you through Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, today wraps up a little four-week series that we have titled, uh, Can I Say That?, uh, we are blessed at Monterey with folks who are gifted in so many different areas. And one of the blessings that Sam and I enjoy is that uh, we interact with a group that we call our creative worship team. Many times, uh, me simply sharing with them where I'm going with sermons and uh, they share ideas and thoughts regarding the assembly. But on other occasions, uh, sharing with them some future uh, series titles and allowing them to provide some input as well. And so as we talked about this a number of weeks ago, uh, the statements that we have shared together during this series are actually statements that grew out of some of those conversations. Uh, you may recall that four weeks ago when we began the series, I began with this little illustration. Maybe you've seen words like that uh, inscribed on a plaque that someone had placed on their desk or perhaps on the wall, words that uh, say something like, did I really say that? Did I really say that out loud? In fact, uh, think about that phrase as we conclude the series today. Words or phrases that come out of our mouths, sometimes that may shock others, sometimes that may even shock ourselves. Words that may leave a lot of questions lingering. Perhaps on one hand, words that we should not speak in the presence of others. But on the other hand, the need for us to be honest with ourselves, to be honest with one another, and most of all, to be honest with God. To acknowledge that we all struggle. We struggle with life itself. We struggle at times in relationships with one another. We struggle with how to live out what it is to be a follower of Jesus. And so, can I say that? Can I be that vulnerable? Can I be that honest? Uh, <clears throat> throughout this series, we've explored the following statements. Week number one, I struggle to love all people. And so we looked at, among other things, the story of the Good Samaritan and what Jesus says about loving our neighbor, how he defines neighbor. 
Week number two, I struggle to forgive others. Perhaps even more directly, there are times when I just don't want to forgive. And so we looked at what the Bible says about forgiveness. Last week, I struggled to talk about Jesus, or more specifically, in the form of a question, how do I bring Jesus up in everyday conversation? And the direction we went last week was to talk about the importance of building relationships with one another, listening to one another, focusing on story, uh, the stories of others. Tell me your story. Tell me about your life. Opportunities for me to tell my story, how Jesus has blessed me, and ultimately to talk about the story of God. We talked about the importance of community, what it is to be a church that welcomes and embraces all people. We talked about the fact that being a disciple is a journey. We talked about the beauty of serving one another, believing that in all of those situations, God's Spirit is at work creating opportunities for us to put in a good word for Jesus everywhere we go. Uh, today, and I want to do this under the umbrella of Thanksgiving, today I struggle with what Jesus says about money. What does the Bible really say about money, how we use our money? And interestingly enough, that statement actually came out of the mouth of one of our young people who's a part of that creative worship team. Looking at life, looking at money, looking at possessions, what does the Bible really say about money? And so again today, may we be honest enough to acknowledge that conversations about money may be conversations that we all struggle with, but may we also be honest enough to lay our hearts and our lives before God and hear what Jesus has to say. Reality is, Jesus talks about money and possessions more than he does any other topic. Let that one sink in, that Jesus talks about money and possessions more than he does any other topic. And so maybe the question is, why? Why does he spend so much time talking about money and possessions? Sometimes he does it in very direct ways. Sometimes he does it allowing us the opportunity to listen in on conversations he has with other individuals. Sometimes he tells stories, what we call parables. Why, though, does he say so much about those topics? Well, to answer the question why on the front end of the sermon today, let me use language that I heard Tony Ash use a number of years ago. Tony, who taught in the Bible department at ACU for many, many years, in a series he did on the Gospel of Luke, and I'm going to be reading primarily from Luke this morning, in a series he did on the Gospel of Luke, he said maybe Jesus spends that much time talking about money and possessions because money, even though it is neither good nor bad in and of itself, money has this incredible capacity to become a God in our lives, what Tony described as a rival God. In fact, when you look at the gospel of Luke, Jesus in his ministry, especially in that gospel, will identify any number of things that rival our allegiance to the one true God whom we are to love and serve with heart, soul, mind, and strength. In fact, Jesus, without using the word so much, talks about the challenge of idolatry. And interestingly enough, I think when we look at what Scripture has to say about idolatry, we may think it ludicrous that somebody would worship a, a golden calf or a wooden idol. But then if I begin talking about the potential of money being an idol or a god in our lives, then typically many of us don't want to have that conversation because it hits too close to home. And so we might even respond by saying, well, we would never be guilty of idolatry when those rival gods are all around us. 
And so I want to begin today by doing what I've done through most of this series. I want to read some text, and rather than offering commentary on those texts, I want you to simply listen in on what Jesus has to say. Three texts from the Gospel of Luke. Rather lengthy reading this morning, but I think there's power in us simply hearing the Word of God. So from Luke chapter 12. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? And then he said to them, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you, and then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be for be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. From Luke chapter 18, a certain ruler asked Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, honor your father and mother. I do have to pause for just a moment and offer one commentary. Did you notice as Jesus is reciting those commands that he did not include the command, you are to have no other gods before me? Maybe because Jesus knew where the conversation was going. And so in response to Jesus, the ruler said, all of these, the the commandments you've identified, I've kept since I was a boy. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. And then come follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. One chapter later, chapter 19, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, not held in high regard by most folks, and he was wealthy. He wanted to see uh, see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. And so he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. And when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your, your house today. And so he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All of the people saw this and began to mutter, he's gone to to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And then one other text, words from the Apostle Paul that I'm going to describe 
as a commentary on Jesus' teaching about money and possessions. Paul says, Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money, not money itself, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But you, man of God, flee from all of this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Just a few verses later, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. May God and His Word bless and challenge and encourage us this morning. Over the next 10 or 12 minutes, and don't time me, but in the next 10 or 12 minutes, let me try to tie together two things this morning. One, those texts that I've just read regarding money and possessions, but I hope even as I've read those texts, you are aware of the fact that, that it's more than just a conversation about money and possessions. It's a conversation about life and meaning and purpose and joy. And so as you listen to texts like those, what are the important threads, the important themes that weave through? Second, I think most, if not all of us, would quickly acknowledge that 2020 is one of the most extraordinary years we've ever experienced. In fact, how many of you are ready for 2021 to roll around? And, and the recognition is, even when 2021 gets here, we're simply flipping a page on a calendar. But as we reflect on 2020, we recognize what an extraordinary season we have lived in and through. And as we've done on other occasions, reflecting on these last several months, not only the pandemic, but all of the things that have happened in our country and our culture, maybe the question at the top of the list is, and so what have we learned what are some lessons that we have learned through this season? And maybe the primary answer we give is we've learned what matters most in life. And we begin to fill in the blanks with all of the blessings that we experience. But I want to take it a, a step further today beyond just focusing on what really matters. What are some disciplines that we need to practice as we move forward? And that's where I think these two things converge. What Jesus has to say about life, money, possessions, etc., and what we're currently experiencing in life. And so I want to leave with you four words today, four challenges, four disciplines that I really believe will bless our lives, that will bless us as a church, that will bless us as we engage our community and in our, in our world. And with all four of these words or disciplines, I'm going to make a few comments, but primarily today, I want to leave the words with you for you to ponder and for you to apply in your life. Discipline number one, 
the discipline of thanksgiving or gratitude. And I call it a discipline because I really believe Jesus teaches us to make thanksgiving a way of life, just as we've noted throughout this series that Jesus challenges us to make forgiveness a way of life. He challenges us to make prayer a way of life. And as Jesus talks about all of the things that we experience in life, I think he is challenging us to practice that discipline of thanksgiving. Here's the way Paul would define it in 1 Thessalonians 5. Rejoice always, always. Pray continually, continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. When life is really, really good in our judgment, and when we're walking through the darkest valleys imaginable, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus, Paul says. It's a matter of recognizing that when I bring a thankful heart, a heart of gratitude to what I'm experiencing in life, it shapes how I look at everything else. And so I might pose a question like, so what's the opposite of thanksgiving or gratitude? And we might initially say, well, the opposite is you're not thankful. The opposite is ingratitude. But I think it runs even deeper than that. Because sometimes the temptation is to compare what I have with what you have or to compare what I have with what we want, what I want. And so we end up with greed or jealousy or resentment or bitterness. And we don't pause long enough to truly be thankful. You see, Jesus reminds us that life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. That real meaning in life, that joy in life doesn't depend upon how much money I make, what kind of house I live in, what kind of car I drive, how much money I have in my bank account. That's not where we discover meaning and joy in life. In the parable of the rich fool, Jesus is about as direct as you can be. No matter how much we have accumulated, he says we cannot take those possessions with us. And so the question is, are we laying up treasures in heaven or on earth? The discipline is, be thankful. And so I invite you to ponder that word and to apply that word this week. And maybe one tangible way for all of us to apply that this week is, whether individually or with family, as we gather for a holiday season, is to simply take a notebook and write down things that we are grateful for. Share with one another. What are you thankful for? The discipline of thanksgiving. Number two, the discipline of contentment. About 10 years ago, I preached a series of sermons that we titled Enough, in which we talked about contentment, simplicity, and generosity. And I'll get to the other two words in a moment. But for now, catch that word contentment. And did you notice Paul's language in 1 Timothy 6? Godliness, he says, pursuing a godly life, godliness with contentment is great gain. And then he reminds us again, we brought nothing into the world, and it's certain we can take nothing out. Contentment. I want you to hear me carefully. Paul is not minimizing the importance of ambition or responsibility or setting and reaching goals. He's talking about a quality of heart and life similar to Thanksgiving where we recognize that life is not defined by how much we have or what my career path looks like. And so no matter where we find ourselves, we learn to be content. What's the opposite of contentment? 
Well, not being content, but maybe at an even deeper level, greed, covetousness, perhaps even the worry and the anxiety that can consume, uh, can, 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 can consume us if we simply want more and more and more rather than being content with where we are. You see, we live in a world that often buys into the belief that joy in life, that peace and contentment are only found in more money, more possessions, more power, rather than being content with where we are, rather than saying, I've got enough. One other quick word about contentment, though, and I draw from the words of James McIntosh, a Scottish philosopher and philosopher of the, uh, or politician of the late 18th and early 19th centuries, he put it this way, it is right, he says, to be content with what we have, to be content with what we have, but to never be content with what we are. In other words, he's calling us to be more and more and more like Jesus. And so the discipline of contentment, I'll leave the word with you to ponder and to apply in the coming days. Discipline number three, simplicity. And in many respects, contentment and simplicity go hand in hand. Simplicity may mean a whole variety of things, and the application may look different in your life than it does in my life. It might mean I don't need uh, another tool when I've got five of them already in the tool shed. I don't need another pair of shoes because I've already got 20 pair in the closet. It might mean I don't need a new car because the car I'm driving right now is still, a good, is still in good shape and it's paid off. It might mean downsizing. I'll leave the word with you to ponder and to apply. What's the opposite of simplicity? Well, maybe words like indulgence and extravagance. And so this discipline of simplicity. And number four, the discipline of generosity. Here's my conviction. I really believe that Scripture teaches us to give out of a spirit of gratitude, a spirit of thanksgiving. And so what a great week to be reminded of how much God has blessed us with. In fact, I believe Scripture teaches us that we were created to give. Obviously tempted to keep, but we were created to give. When we grab hold of that principle, then I think we learn to not only be generous, but we learn to be sacrificial in our giving. And so what the world needs and what we need is the message of the joy that comes through generosity, a reminder that we have been blessed abundantly in order to bless and to serve others, that just as we have been so blessed by God, we are to love neighbor. What's the opposite of generosity? Well, words like stinginess come to mind, or an illustration some of you have heard me use before, Phil Robertson the duck commander, one of my elders at Weiss Ferry Road before we moved here, Phil was preaching a sermon on giving on one occasion. And he said, I'm going to talk about four kinds of givers this morning. The first kind is a cheapskate, and some of you are cheapskates. And every time I tell the story, I remind folks, Phil could get away with that. I, I can't. But it's a reminder again that because we've been so blessed by God that we are called to be a generous people. And so the discipline of generosity Likewise, I'll leave that word with you to ponder and to apply. Let me close by inviting you, by challenging you, not just this week, but what a great week to think about this in my judgment, by challenging you to trust God. God has graciously given to us in order that we might experience life. And so live a life of gratitude. And flowing out of that gratitude, practice disciplines like contentment and simplicity 
and generosity and just imagine the doors that God will open for us as we practice those disciplines. Oh, and one other question. When all is finished, when your life is over, what do you want your life, the story of your life, what do you want the story of your life to tell the world? More specifically, what do you want the story of your life to tell the world about Jesus? Would you pray with me again? Father, we declare this morning our love and our praise and our thanksgiving to you. And God, I pray, especially during this season, but a season that I pray flows into every part of our lives, we are reminded of how gracious you are to us. And so may we live with gratitude with our whole heart. May we celebrate the beauty, the wonder of the name of Jesus. And above everything else, live our lives in such a way that the story that will be told will be a story that honors and blesses the name of Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.